Turn to the person you're sitting next to and say, man, turn to the person you're sitting next to and say, man, I'm glad you're here. Because I want to tell you, I'm glad I'm here. I am really glad to be here, glad to see you today. Great to see those who are at our Mill Creek campus, those watching online, those watching by TV, those here at our, at our Sugarloaf campus. We're glad that you uh, joined us today. You know, from the time that you were born, you immediately began to interact with other people. You um, grow up in a family, you go to school, you play on a team, you join a club, you get into a business, and your life is filled with personal interactions. And as you go through life, you'll discover there are two situations that you will get into, and you cannot avoid them. Doesn't matter how good you are, how hard you try, how nice you are, you will find yourself in both of these situations. You will need to be forgiving and you will need to be forgiven. Promise you it's gonna happen. You're listening to me right now and there's some of you, you are in a prison of bitterness. And there's some of you that are in a grip of guilt. You either need to be forgiving or you need to be forgiven. And we're in a series that we've been calling Mirror Image, and it's about character. And today we're going to talk about one of those aspects of character, one of those character traits that frankly may be the greatest test of your character. And that trait is forgiveness. In fact, I guarantee you there's some of you right now, you don't even like the fact that I'm talking about that word, because you know what's about to come, because forgiveness demands more character than we even realize. I could ask you a question right now. How many of you, and you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you have, have, you have, uh, have ever been hurt? You've been disappointed. You've been mistreated. I mean, right now, right now, think about the person or the persons that have hurt you the worst in your life, that have mistreated you the most in life, that disappointed you the greatest in life. Think about those people of that person right now. Now, as you think about that person, one of two things is true about you right now. Either you have truly and totally forgiven that person or you haven't. There's no in-between. Either you have truly, totally forgiven that person or you haven't. Now, if you say, well, I have, if you're honest, it was one of the hardest things you've ever done. If you haven't, it's because you've convinced yourself it's so hard, I just can't do it. I have people come up to me almost every single week out in that lobby, and they'll bring something up and they'll say, I know I need to forgive, I just can't do it. Well, one of the reasons why this book, this Bible is so valuable is because it gives real life examples of real life people who had real hurts just like you and just like me. But rather than becoming victims, somehow they became victors. Rather than sinking into the quicksand of bitterness, they were somehow able to climb the mountain of forgiveness. And the poster child for forgiveness is a man by the name of Joseph. And if you brought a copy of God's word, 
We're going to read this story in the very first book of the Bible. It's the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 50. And before we get into this story, in case you don't know the story, if you don't mind, let me give you the, what I call the Wikipedia view, okay? If you looked up Joseph in Wikipedia, this is what you would find. To say that he grew up in a dysfunctional family would be a very gross understatement. If his family had been alive today, we would have never heard of the Kardashians. I mean, they would have been all over television. His dad fathered 13 kids with four different women. Two were his wives, two were his mistresses. He had 11 brothers and one sister. And all except one brother absolutely hated his guts. As a matter of fact, if you've ever experienced sibling rivalry, you know what Thanksgiving was like at Joseph's house, okay? It wasn't a real pleasant experience. Nobody liked each other. Nobody wanted to be there. Nobody wanted to be around each other. You say, well, why did they hate him so much? Well, his mother was his dad's favorite woman. He was the favorite son of both the favorite woman and his dad, and his brothers couldn't stand it. He always got the best of everything. They got the least of everything. So to kind of fast forward, these brothers are out doing some work for their dad out away from the house, and he sends Joseph out to check on his brothers, and when they see Joseph coming, they realize, hey, we can finally do something about our brother. So they decide they're gonna throw him into a pit, which they do, and they're gonna leave him for dead, their own brother, but they hate him that much. But one brother convinces all the other brothers, let's don't do this, we'll feel guilty the rest of our life, let's don't kill him ourselves. So what they did was they actually were able to sell him to some human traffickers that were coming by for 20 pieces of silver. So here's Joseph, 17 years of age, taken away, thinks he'll never ever see his dad ever again. Now you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, man, that's, that's terrible. Well, Murphy's Law kicks in because it gets worse. Not only is he sold into slavery, but he becomes a slave on a plantation for 11 years. Now, during that 11-year period of time, he is a good slave. He's loyal to his master. He works hard. He's running the plantation. His, his master gives him a lot of responsibility. Things are going great. But Mrs. Potiphar, his name was Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar, she's a cougar. And she likes this young guy. And she wants to go to bed with this young guy. And she keeps trying to get this young man to go to bed with her, but Joseph loves the Lord and he will not do it. She gets so angry after he finally rebuffs her, he falsely accuses her of rape. Potiphar believes her story without giving him a chance to explain himself and now he's thrown into prison for something he didn't even do. So because of these brothers that absolutely hated his guts, he's gone from the pit to the plantation, to the prison, and he hasn't done one thing wrong. He doesn't deserve anything that happened to him. It was all because a bunch of his brothers were jealous of him, they envied him, and they hated him. Well, if you know the story, the story has a great ending because he eventually becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And through a series of events, the narrative comes full circle, and now his brothers are at his mercy. He can do anything he wants to to his brothers. The law would say they had it coming. Other people would say they had it coming. Nobody would have condemned Joseph if he had absolutely had all of his brothers put to death. But Joseph doesn't do what everybody thought he would do. 
Joseph didn't do what his brothers thought he would do. Joseph didn't do what the Egyptian soldiers thought he would do. Joseph didn't even do what Pharaoh thought he would do. Instead, he forgives them. And he not only shows us how to forgive, he also shows us why we should forgive. Now, let me go ahead and kind of give you a little spoiler alert. You say, well, why did he do that? Why did he forgive them when they didn't even really deserve it? Because Joseph did something many of you are gonna have to do this morning. He took a wide-angled view of what had happened to him. Let me tell you what I mean. If you are into photography or you know anything about photography, one of the staples in a photographer's bag is a wide-angle lens. A wide-angle lens is actually a short lens, but it has a very wide field of view. And it allows the camera to capture much more of the scene than a normal lens can. Well, when Joseph took a wide-angle lens view of his life, kind of a 30,000-foot view of what had really happened, he realized, you know what? Forgiveness is not only my only option. It's actually my best option. The best thing I can do for them, the best thing I can do for me, the best thing I can do for my family is to forgive them. So that raises a big question. Joseph, how did you keep from being burned by the fire of bitterness? How in the world did you avoid drowning in the sea of bitterness? How did you become so immune to the poison of bitterness? How did you pull that off? Because some of you are thinking right now about someone and you're saying, look, you are wasting your time. If you think I'm gonna forgive blank, if you think I'm gonna forgive him, if you think I'm gonna forgive her, you may as well just stop. I've already checked out on you. That is not going to happen. Well, the reason he could do it and the way you can do it is because he refused to do four things that I'm gonna ask you today to absolutely make up your mind. I am not going to do these four things. Now, I'm gonna state these negatively, but I promise you, if you will believe them and if you will apply them and you will accept them, I promise you it will have a positive result if you will refuse to do these four things. So if you're one of those people today and you're in the prison of bitterness, you're in the bondage of bitterness, you're bitter, you're angry, you've never really forgiven, or you're in the grip of guilt, either one doesn't matter, don't do these four things. Number one, never take the place of God. Never take the place of God. Now, we pick up the story, Genesis 50, verse 15. <clears throat> when Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead, their father had died, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? Now, here's what had been going on. Joseph had been reunited with his brothers. They'd been living together for 17 years. And Joseph has forgiven his brothers. He's treated them with kindness. I mean, everything's going great. But now dad's died. Now dad has gone. And even though Joseph had already forgiven them for what they had done and told them he'd forgiven them and showed them he'd forgiven them, they didn't believe it. They doubted it. And they had convinced themselves the only thing holding Joseph back from getting even was dear old dad. But now dad's gone. Our insurance policy has lapsed. Now we've got nothing between us and Joseph. There's no reason why he'll now continue to treat us the way that he has. And see, they're now really still feeling guilty over what they had done to Joseph. They had been in the grip of guilt all this 
time. Because as this text reveals, there are two kinds of guilt. This is important. There are always two kinds of guilt. Don't forget this. Legitimate guilt is when you've not asked for forgiveness. If you've done something wrong to someone, if you've hurt someone, and you've never come clean, you've never confessed it, you've never asked for forgiveness, you ought to feel guilty. As a matter of fact, you better feel guilty because if you don't feel guilty, you've got a bigger problem than just what you did to hurt that other person. Legitimate guilt is when you've not asked for forgiveness. Illegitimate guilt is when you've not accepted forgiveness. And see, one of the reasons why they had never accepted forgiveness is because they had never asked for, for forgiveness. Joseph had forgiven them even though they had never asked to be forgiven. So for the first time, for the first time, they finally do what they should have done 17 years earlier. They finally confess. Here's what they say. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. These brothers are so afraid of what Joseph is going to do to them. They are so desperate that they, that they make sure they save their skin. They actually lie to Joseph. There's no record that their dad ever said anything of the sort. There's no record their dad ever said, now boys, when I die, you make sure you tell old Joe that he still forgives you. Nothing like that ever happened. They simply made up the story and something hasn't changed about these brothers. They're still lying. They're still deceptive. They're still conniving. They're still trying to save their own skin. And the Bible, we're told here, Joseph breaks down weeping. Now, why is Joseph weeping? Because he really had forgiven his brothers. He had already moved past what they had done. It was already in the rearview mirror. And he's now realizing for 17 years, you haven't believed me. For 17 years, you still believe I hated you. For 17 years, you think I've been lying. For 17 years, you think I've been just like you. And it just absolutely broke his heart because even though he had affirmed his forgiveness, they had not accepted his forgiveness. Now, the good thing, here's the good news. These brothers are now giving a real confession because there are four words that are used for sin in the Old Testament. They use three of them, transgression, sin, and evil. In other words, they have emptied their clip. They have finally given a full faithful confession a total truthful admission of what they've done and they truly want to be forgiven. It's so sad. They have been a, in a prison of guilt, a prison of bitterness or, or, or guilt for 14 years. They woke up every day wondering, when's the dream gonna end? When's Joseph gonna get us back? When are we going to die? For 17 years, they've been living under the shadow of guilt and fear when they could have been enjoying the sunshine of grace and forgiveness. And they now realize there's only one key that will unlock the door to the prison of guilt, and that's confession. 
So they finally come clean. They finally confess, this is what we did. We have transgressed against you. We've committed sin against you. We did evil against you. And now we're introduced to Joseph's amazing response. Winston Churchill would have said this was his finest hour. Listen to what Joseph says. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Now watch what he says. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now, Joseph understood something that you and I need to understand today. You see, in one sense, God is just like us. So what do you mean? He is always in the position of the forgiver. He, he, just like us sometimes when people do us wrong and we need to forgive, there are a lot of times we do God wrong and he needs to forgive us. So he's just like us. He's always in the position of the forgiver. We do things wrong, we go, we confess, we tell him we're sorry, we ask for forgiveness, he forgives us. But there's another way he's not like us because he never needs to be forgiven. He never does the wrong. We're the ones that do the wrong. He never does the wrong. And the simple reason why we've got to forgive others is because we're not God. Joseph has no desire to play God. He said, I'm not going to take the place of God. You don't have to worry. I'm not God. I'm not gonna try to take God's place. I'm not gonna try to replace who he is. So see, here's the point. Watch this. You never have to fear being wronged by a person who's right with God. Because the moment Joseph said to them, am I in the place of God? You know what he was saying to them? I know who I am. I know his place. I know my place. I'm not him. He doesn't have to forgive, but he does because of who he is. I have to forgive because I'm not him. And when, listen, when a person has wronged you, if he gets right with God, he'll right the wrong. If I'm right with God, I will not do you wrong. But if I do you wrong and I get right with God, I will right the wrong. In other words, if you're right with God, here's what you'll know right now. I can tell you right now whether you're right with God or not. You ready? When you're right with God, you keep God in his place and you keep you in your place. So what does that mean? That means you can never put yourself in a place where you say, I will never forgive that person. Then you're playing God and you're not him. You can't take his place. If he chooses not to forgive, that's one thing. You don't have that choice. I don't have that choice. So what Joseph was saying to his brothers was this. Look, I may be the prime minister of Egypt, but he is the preeminent master of the universe. And sometimes I need to re receive forgiveness. And if I need to receive forgiveness, then I must always be willing to give forgiveness. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable, inexcusable in you. So let me just tell you something right now. Some of you may not like it. You can forgive that person or those people. You will forgive that person or those people. You must forgive that person or those people. When you remember that just as God has forgiven you, you are to forgive others. So if you want to get out of the prison of bitterness, never take the place of God. Number two, never forget the providence of God. 
Never forget the providence of God. Now, Joseph's just getting warmed up. Okay, he, the, he's got this wide angle view. He's got this 30,000 foot look and he's about to give us a truth that if you will really believe what I'm about to tell you, it will permanently change your behavior forever. The reason why, listen, the reason why Joseph was able to behave the right way is because he believed the right thing. If you don't believe anything else I tell you in this message, I want you to believe what I'm about to tell you. This is true 100% of the time. Your belief always determines your behavior. Your belief always determines your behavior. Don't tell me what you say you believe. Show me how you behave and I'll tell you what you believe. It's the way it works. You know why people like me and others and many, hopefully, and some of us in our church, you know why we tithe? You know why I've always tithed every dime I've ever made to the Lord? I believe that God honors the tithe. If you believe that, you'll tithe. If you don't, you won't. It's that simple. I believe that when I share the gospel, some people will be saved. If I didn't believe that, I'd never share the gospel. So why do I share the gospel? Because I believe the gospel is the power of God into salvation, and I believe that God wants to save people, and God does save people. If you believe that, you'll share Jesus. If you don't, you won't. Your belief and my belief always determines our behavior, always. So what Joseph is about to say about his life is also true about your life and my life. Listen to what he says. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me when you put me in that pit. You intended to harm me when you sold me to those slaves. You intended to harm me when you let me walk and you walked away from me, hopefully never to see me again. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, I want you to notice this is important. The first thing Joseph does is he acknowledges his brothers had done him wrong. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't say, oh, don't think anything about it. He didn't say, oh, that's all right. Boys will be boys. He did not put any kind of a covering on it. I mean, he didn't overlook it. He hit it head on. Let me tell you this. The first step you've got to take, some people ask me sometimes, they'll say, I just can't seem to forgive this person. Well, what's the first step I need to take? And they'll say, I know what you're going to tell me. I need to forgive that person. I say, no, that's not the first step. The first step is you've got to admit what they did to you. You've got to acknowledge what they did to you. You got to face it. You got to call it what it is. When people hurt you, mistreat you, disappoint you, when they throw you under the bus, the first step you've got to do if you want to forgive them, you've got to acknowledge that they have. You got to look at that person and say, You hurt me. You said this. You did that. You mistreated me. You didn't do this right. You didn't do me right. You've got to go ahead and, yes, acknowledge what they have done. But here's what you've got to remember this is the big thing. Now, listen. When you think everything is out of control, God is in control. When you think everything's out of control, God is in control. Always in control. See, behind everything that happens to you, yes, the bad, the evil, the horrible, God intends ultimately to use it for your Good, because let's just, let me state a truth here, because I know some of you are probably thinking about this right now. You say, wait a minute. God could have kept Joseph from being thrown into that pit. You're right. 
God could have prevented Joseph from being sold into slavery. You're right. God could have prevented Joseph from being falsely accused. You're right. God could have prevented Joseph from being thrown into that prison. You're right. But what his brothers and a scorned woman and a gullible master intended for evil, God intended for good. In fact, there's an order in this verse that you've got to keep in mind, this wide-angled view of all the bad things that ever happens to you in this life. I'm, I'm going to put it up in another version. I want you to see it. Three words I want you to keep together. As for you, you meant, say that word, evil, against me, but God meant it for, okay. You've got to keep those three words together because I want you to see this. Watch this. Evil filtered by God becomes good. Evil filtered by God equals good. Or if you like alliteration, which I do, grief filtered through God becomes good. Now, if you want to know what we mean by the providence of God, that's what I mean by the providence of God. No matter what other people intend to do to you, no matter how bad they want to hurt you, it's all right. Not what they do is all right. Here's the point. God says, no matter what they intend for evil, I mean it for good. That's what the providence of God is all about. Providence is God working in your life in such a way and in the entire universe in such a way where everything ultimately at the end of the day works out for your good and his glory. Have you ever heard, you ever heard the old saying, the devil's in the details? That's wrong. God's in the details. The devil's not in the details. God is in the details. You know what? God never has to say, wait a minute, that wasn't in the script. God never has to say, good grief, I didn't know you were going to do that. God never has to say, man, I didn't see that one coming. No. In the movie of your life, there's going to be valleys and mountains. There are going to be rivers and deserts. There's going to be bad times and good times. There's going to be good and there's going to be evil. But God says, when the movie of your life is over and they're running the credits on the screen, I'm going to work everything out for your good. Listen, Joseph was not sold into slavery. He was not put on a plantation. He was not thrown into a prison because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know why he was thrown into a pit? Do you know why he was put on a plantation? Do you know why he was thrown into prison? Because in the providence of God, he was in the right place at the right time because God intended it for good. Now, now just, just for a minute, I, I, this is the part I've been waiting to get to all week, okay? I love, I, I want you to pretend there's a soapbox up here, okay? I'm gonna get on a soapbox for about two, will y'all let me do that? Can I just get on a soapbox for two minutes? If what I've been telling you is true, and if what the scripture says is true, okay, now read my lips. That means there is no such thing as luck. I hate that word. I, I absolutely despise that word. I mean, and we use it all the time. We call somebody a, a lucky dog. We wish people luck. We talk about lady luck, tough luck, good luck, bad luck, rotten luck, 
I mean, there's, I get an itch I can't scratch when I hear people say, I want to thank my lucky stars. I got upset this morning. I walked into my pantry. We, Teresa bought a cereal of lucky charms. <laughs> Listen, if you think any event in life or every event in life is random, you're out of luck. Listen, listen. Nothing is up to chance. Nothing. Everything is up to God. The other day, I, I took Connor, my grandson, to the grocery store. And at the front, there's this, this, this toy dispenser. You know where you got to get the, you know, you, you, you put a quarter or, or 50 cents or whatever, and you try to grab something out. So I was looking at what was in there, and, and there was a, a lucky rabbit's foot. When I was growing up, rabbit's feet were real popular. You know, if you, you, some of you remember that. But, you know, I just remember when I was a kid, you'd see people drive down the street and hanging over their rearview mirror, there'd be this lucky rabbit's foot. And I was looking at that machine and I was looking at that lucky rabbit's foot and all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, you know, a lucky rabbit's foot is a misnomer. So what do you mean? Well, how lucky could the rabbit be if he can't even keep his own foot? Joseph had not gotten to be prime minister of Egypt because of luck, because of his resume, because of the people that he knew, because of his influence, because of his politics. You know why Joseph got to where Joseph got? It was all because of the providence of God. What they meant for evil, Joseph, I intended for good. So you just remember, all the bad things that happen to you and all the bad people that do those bad things God's made a promise. I will providentially take everything that happens and I will use it for your good and my glory. Listen, never, ever, ever forget the providence of God. Third thing, never doubt the plan of God. Never doubt the plan of God. Now, consider the next part of this statement. You ready? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. Well, just exactly what was being accomplished. What do you mean by that? God's plan. God has a plan for everything. God has a plan for everybody. And God's plan will always accomplish what is for your good and his glory. Teresa, one of the, one of the, you know, I, somebody hit the jackpot when I married my sweet wife of almost 43 years this month. I, I, just, I just can't get over how, how great a wife God gave me. You know, great personality. She's beautiful. She loves me. She takes care of me. And she is one great cook. And, um, you know, she makes some of the best cakes you will ever put in your mouth. And it hit me the other day that every cake she's ever baked is simply the result of a plan, Right? Ladies, a recipe is a plan. That's what it is. So when I look at all the individual ingredients she's, she lays out, I was watching her not long ago, like back in Thanksgiving. She had the butter, she had the sugar, she had the flour, she had the eggs, all of that. She did not ask me to eat each one of those things individually. They would have tasted absolutely horrible. But man, when she mixed those ingredients together, according to her plan, I mean, it was Disney World. I mean, my soul, was it good? And see, there are two words that Joseph says to his brother. 
You need to write over everything that happens to you, okay? Especially the bad stuff. There's two words you need to write over everything. Here's the words. But God. But God. Can you say that with me? But God. Let's say that again. But God. Now let's go back. This all started when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Things looked bad, but God had a plan. Joseph says to his brother, you sold me, but God sent me. And those two words, but God, changed everything. Watch this. Their plan was to eliminate Joseph, but God's plan was to elevate Joseph. Their plan was to lower Joseph into the pit. But God's plan was to lift Joseph onto a throne. Their plan was to desert Joseph. But God's plan was to deliver Joseph. Their plan was to sell Joseph out. But God's plan was to pick Joseph up. And that's why Joseph could say with 100% confidence, you intended to harm me, but God. Say it again. But God. Say it again. But God intended it for good. Listen, I don't know what you've gone through in your life. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know how badly you've been hurt, and I don't know who hurt you. And I cannot tell you that it was a good thing that happened to you when you got hurt. I don't know how unfairly you've been treated. I don't know how unjust your circumstances have been. I don't know what kind of bad hand you've been dealt. I don't know what you're being dealt right now, but I'll tell you what I do know. Whatever else you think or you are hearing, let me tell you what God is telling you right now, whether you believe it or not. God is telling you right now, everything's going according to plan. Everything is going according to plan. So let me be clear now. I want you to understand. There's nothing in the story that says all those things that happened to Joseph was good. Was it good he was thrown into the pit? No. Was it good he was put on the plantation? No. Was it good that he was falsely accused of rape? No. Was it good that he was thrown into prison for something he didn't even do? No. Was it good that he was kidnapped? Absolutely not. His enslavement wasn't good. His imprisonment wasn't good. And what you're going through right now may not be good, but here's what God has guaranteed. I will take all the bad and I will turn it into good because that's my plan for your life. I don't have evil plans for you. I've got good plans for you. So when somebody throws you under the bus, they leave you holding the bag, they give you the short end of the stick, they leave you high and dry, but God will use it to accomplish his plan. I want you to remember this. God's plan for you is bigger than you and bigger than your plan for you. God's plan for you is bigger than you and bigger than your plan for you. Things do not happen by coincidence. They happen by providence. And providence guarantees that everything is going according to God's plan. Never, ever doubt the plan of God. And here's the last thing. Never question the purpose of God. Never question the purpose of God. Now listen to the rest of this statement. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. You got the providence of God. You got the plan of God. Well, what was the purpose? The saving of many lives. So let me give you some good news. 
A lot of you are just playing games when it comes to your life. But God never plays games with your life. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for my life. He has a purpose for every life. He has a purpose for everything. And Joseph didn't know it, but the purpose of everything that happened to Joseph was so that God could place Joseph in a place to be a savior for his people. Oh, by the way, but not just be a savior for his people, but so that the people that he saved would eventually be the people that would bring the savior into the world. See, every plan has a purpose. God has a plan, but behind that plan is a purpose. Every plan has a purpose. Almost 20 years ago, Teresa and I built our house, the house that we're living in now, and, and here's what we did. We built it according to the plan that she picked out. Well, you say, why was it the plan that she picked out? Because the purpose of building that house was not to build a house I would like, it would build a house that she would like. That was the purpose. There was a purpose behind the plan. And behind every plan, there is a purpose. And you need to understand, understand something about God's plan for your life, okay? It wasn't drawn up last night. He didn't just write it down on a napkin. He doesn't make it up on the fly. He doesn't have to improvise or adjust. God's plan for you and God's plan for me is wrapped around the purpose he has, not just for you and me, but also over the entire world. So remember, God's plan is in accordance with God's purpose, always in accordance with his purpose. There's a method to God's madness. God has a purpose in everything. And not only, not only has a plan he wants to achieve, he has a purpose he wants to accomplish. So let me tell you what that means. God never reacts when things go wrong in your life. I mean, God doesn't react to anything. God acts before everything. And God providentially, according to his plan to fulfill his purpose, funnels everything that happens to you and me into the container of that plan so that at the end of the, of the day, his purpose is accomplished. It took Joseph 23 years to finally see the light, to finally understand, now I know why all of this happened. It was to accomplish your purpose of the saving of many lives. Now that raises a question. What lives was he referring to? I mean, who needed to be saved? Well, earlier he had said this to his brothers, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. In other words, he wasn't just trying to save his family. Joseph was trying to save his family who had become a nation that would send a savior into the world. So let's rewind the tape. Let's just suppose his brothers don't sell Joseph into slavery. They don't throw him into the pit. He doesn't go to Egypt. Here's what would happen. If he doesn't go to Egypt, there'd be no nation of Israel. If there's no nation of Israel, there's no Jesus. If there's no Jesus, there's no salvation for the whole world. So let's just go back to when he was 17 years old. Let's go back to when you were 15 years old or 10 years old or 25 or 30. Let's just go back. Joseph, 
didn't know that one day a famine would come that would have wiped out his entire family and all the people of Israel. He didn't know that, but God did. Joseph didn't know that being in prison would lead him to the palace and put him in a position of such power he could save an entire nation. Joseph didn't know that, but God did. Joseph didn't know that God had to send him to Egypt so ultimately his family would give birth to the nation of Israel from which Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, would finally come. But God did. See, there's a lot of things you don't know and I don't know about tomorrow and next week and next year and the next decade. We don't know. And we don't know why God's gonna do certain things. We don't know why certain things are going to happen to us. We don't know why the bad things may hit us. But God does. God knows. And when you rewind the tape, you see God had a purpose for the pit. God had a purpose for the plantation. God had a purpose for the prison. And it was also that Joseph could be put into a palace where he would have the power and the position to save, first of all, his family. Second of all, to save a nation. But more importantly, to save the world. And every single time Joseph was put where he did not want to be, right? What's this? When Joseph was in that pit, is that where Joseph wanted to be? Can somebody just say yes or no? No. Thank you. When Joseph was on that plantation, is that where Joseph wanted to be? No. When Joseph was in that prison, is that where Joseph wanted to be? No, absolutely not, but watch this. But every single time, the pit, the plantation, and the prison, he was right where God wanted him to be because everything was going according to plan because God had a bigger purpose in mind. And that's why Joseph lovingly and honestly says to his brothers, so then, don't be afraid. I will provide you and your, for, for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. People ask me all the time, how do you know when you've really forgiven somebody? Here's how you know it. It's not just in the words that you speak. It will be in the actions that you take. Because forgiveness is not just said, it's shown. And see, only the water of forgiveness can quench the fire of bitterness. When Joseph had his first son, you know what he named him? Anybody, anybody remember what he named his first son? Manasseh. Anybody know what the name Manasseh means? To forget. That's exactly what Joseph did. He didn't hold a grudge. He didn't look back. He didn't think about how can I get even with my brother someday. Someday I'll get you. If God lets me live long enough, I'm going to make sure you get what's coming to you. No. He was a doctor that healed himself. You know why? Because he didn't do what some of you are doing right now. He didn't take the place of God. He didn't forget the providence of God. He didn't doubt the plan of God. And he didn't question the purpose of God. Now, here's the good news for us. In this year, on this day, 
The God that was controlling every event in his life is still sitting on the throne of the universe. And he's still over all the events of your life. Yes, he will allow evil to be done to you. But in the end, he promises, I will make it good for you because the God that is in you, listen, the God that is in you is bigger than the evil that others do to you. Our job is to forgive what other people do to us. That's our job. God's job is to providentially fit what others do to us into his plan and into his purpose for our good and for his glory. And oh, by the way, he has a 100% success rate. So, in case you're still sitting there going, nice try, no cigar, don't believe it. I came in here mad and bitter. I'm gonna leave out, leave out of here mad and bitter. In case you doubt God can ha- that this can happen, in case you doubt that, doubt that God can take the worst evil you can imagine and turn it into your good, let me just remind you that God did take the greatest evil ever done in the history of this world, the crucifixion of his own son, and he turned it into the greatest good of all, which is the salvation of all who accept him. So you're gonna leave here one of two ways. It's up to you. You're gonna walk out of here in that bondage of bitterness. You're gonna walk out of here in that grip of guilt. But I'm just telling you, it won't work out for you. It won't end up good for you. But when you finally take that wide angle view, that 30,000 foot look, and you realize, you know what? Everything is going according to plan. You can forgive, and you can be forgiven. Let's pray together.